You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. If you got your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be finishing up our series out of the crowd. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we keep some on the back tables. If you don't own one, then uh, happy Thanksgiving this week. And by the way, happy Thanksgiving. I'm loving it. I got to have a Thanksgiving dinner last night, which is like the prep work. So what I'm most thankful for this morning, elastic pants. Um, so uh, it's going to be good. But there's some things. While you're going to Luke chapter 10, uh, this week we sent out a survey to our church. It's coming into the end of the year, and we'd like to do some reviews on ourselves and kind of get some feedback. And so if you get our weekly email, then you got that survey. And if you would, please open that and fill it out. Um, help us out. Um, and, and be specific on it, please. Um, don't just be like, oh, everything's great. Um, uh, I know not everything is perfect. So uh, tell, us, tell us, and don't be mean, though. Okay, there's just no place for that. Don't be mean. Be honest. Um, if you got to be mean, email Alec, um, Alec at thecreekfw.com, um, and he can take it. He's wearing his life preserver today. Um, this week, <laughs> some of y'all remember Back to the Future, don't you? So I got to make a Back to the Future reference last night about Alec, too. He was talking about the Rockport trip, and he said, we're having an informational meeting November 15th. I'm thinking, uh, unless you got a DeLorean. Um, uh, anyway, this week uh, we are cooking uh, at the Lake Worth Senior Center, so if you've got availability on Wednesday, uh, we've been doing this, this, I think this is our sixth year um, that we've been able to cook uh, and do the turkeys and hams for the Lake Worth Seniors, and, and so I think yesterday they said they're doing 40 turkeys and 10 hams. Uh, this week, and so we have a giant uh, grill and smoker that was donated to the church years ago that we are going to put to use. So, if you want to come and hang around uh, barbecue and smoke turkey and and ham, and I know they're frying some turkeys. If you want to be a part of that, you can get on that. You can be at the Lake Worth Senior Center. You can get there as early as 5 a.m. because that's when real barbecue people start. By the way, um, I won't be there. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I just want to eat it. I don't want to go through the work, uh, but that's going to happen. And then uh, we're, we're due for a construction update. Um, I've had some people ask me, so when are we going to start construction? Um, I told you uh, four to six weeks. Um, and if you don't know what that means, that's a sick joke around our church. Uh, when we were moving into this facility, our contractor said in four to six weeks, you're going to be in. That was in June. We moved in in November. Okay. So if you do the math, we're on track. All right. Uh, where, where things are, um, we're, we're waiting to get our loan finalized. And, well, it's finalized. Everything is finalized. I'll just say it that way. We're just waiting to get closed because in order to close, we've got to have this form from a government agency called FEMA. And they've been a little bit busy um, with things going on down south. And, and, um, and, and where FEMA has to get involved with this is originally um, where we were sitting used to be floodplain. And FEMA still thinks it's floodplain. So until we can get that form from FEMA that says it's not floodplain, um, then, then we wait. And we're, so we're, this week, we're hoping to get some information. We're trying to mitigate it by getting some, they're making us get flood insurance um, until we can get that form from FEMA. So yeah, it's all just crazy. Um, uh, yeah. We'll just put it that way. We're going to trust God with it. We said that when we started, we're going to trust God. Nothing changes in that. 
Um, our timeline looks like our timeline, but God's timeline is always on time, amen? And so I love that he is, is perfect in his timing. We're going to trust him with that. And when it starts, you, believe me, when construction starts, you're going to know it, okay? I'm going to be the one dancing, all right? I'm going to be like David. I'm going to get even more undignified than this. I'll keep my clothes on, but I'm going to be dancing. Um, I'll save that for the house, baby. Um, (laughs) I said that out loud, didn't I? Luke chapter 10. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Woo. Not much embarrasses me, but you got me now. Luke chapter 10, last week we were talking about Jesus sending out the 72 disciples that he anointed and appointed and sent them out, said, you're going to go ahead of me, prepare the way and tell them I'm coming. You tell them the kingdom of heaven is near and you tell them uh, that the Messiah that you've been waiting for is on the way. And then Jesus is saying, you're going to prepare the way for me to come and for the gospel to transform lives, for the life that Jesus brings is going to transform lives. And he sends these, these people out ahead of him and he says, go prepare them. He tells them to go and heal the sick. He says, and also proclaim the kingdom. And, and, and so these, these folks go out and they come back and we get to celebrate the coming back. Because I love that when God sends us out, he always says there's going to be a homecoming. You know, when David says, God, I want you to watch my coming and my going, my coming in and my going out. And so there's a, a sending out, but there's also now a receiving because Jesus gets to get an update and get the reunion on what happened. And in verse 17, tells us that it says the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Uh, can, can you imagine the excitement in that? I mean, they, they get sent out and they come back and they're like, Jesus, <clears throat> you're not going to believe what we saw. And Jesus is like, try me. Um, but I started thinking about, they got to see and experience some incredible things. And all of those things they got to see was because they were surrendered to the mission of Christ. They were surrendered to the mission of gospel. They were surrendered to what Jesus had called them to. They were surrendered to walk in obedience. And so they got to see some incredible things. There's things in our lives that we want to see and experience. We have these dreams. We have these hopes, these aspirations. But I'll be honest with you. Many people aren't going to see those things happen in their life because they're going to be unwilling to surrender what needs to be surrendered to see those things. This idea of surrender, it's, it's all about this, this mentality. What am I giving up to gain? And we do it every day. We make decisions about what we're going to give up, what we're going to surrender in our life in order to get something else. If you want to have an amazing marriage, there's things you have to surrender. You've got to surrender yourself, and selfishness has to die in order for you to have an amazing marriage. So there's something you surrender so that you gain. For your family, for your family to be healthy and for you to be a a Christ-centered family, there's things you have to surrender in order for your family to be the family God's called you to be. And we we put things on the line all the time. We're like, I'm going to surrender that so this can happen. Some of you are in a phase of your life where you're focused on career. You're like, you know, school's done Praise God, and it's time, to, it's time to now find that career and start climbing in that. And so what happens is we'll make sacrifices or we'll be willing to surrender some things so that our career can get some stability. We're doing that all the time. Many times, our family is what gets surrendered in order to face career. It's not a healthy place to be. Some of you have made the decision, I'm gonna surrender a career so that I can stay home with the kids. So we do it all the time. 
But we're also called to do this in the kingdom of Christ, that, that Jesus says, if anyone's going to follow me, he's got to lay down his life. He's got to take up his cross daily and follow me. Anyone who wants to save his life must lose it. So in order for us to find life in Christ, we have to be willing to surrender our life. We surrender our past. We surrender our failures. We surrender our successes. And we say, Jesus, I'm all in, all of me for all of you. And he says, now we got something to work with. And when we're surrendered to Christ, he has purpose for our life. And there's going to be things that we will see and experience that are greater than we could ever ask or imagine. I'm living proof of that. Last week, I challenged you. There's three people in your life that you're desperately praying to come into a relationship with Christ. I hope that you reached out. It wasn't, hey, you got to go you got to go get them to accept Jesus this week. It was build a bridge. Make a connection. This week, we got to reconnect with some friends that we hadn't spent time with in years. And we sat at dinner, and it was, it was amazing because they, 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 they wanted to know the story. How did you even go into ministry? They knew me before my ministry days. They got stories. They're people I'd be scared to give a microphone to in this place. How did you even go into ministry? How in the world did you get into a process of starting a church? And we got to share about God's goodness and his grace, how the gospel's changed our life. And it was amazing as I got to retell that story. I was like, man, I've got to experience some incredible things. But I wouldn't have experienced them if I hadn't surrendered and said, God, it's not my will, but your will that I want done for my life. The problem with, with what we want to see and experience is that we, we fail to see things. We get so focused on doing that we miss what we're doing. It's like the guy that's building a house. Another guy comes up to him and says, what are you doing? And the guy says, I'm sawing a board. Too many times we get focused on sawing a board and we miss the reality that we're building a house. We get so caught up in the mundane. What are you doing? I'm just trying to get the kids to school. I'm trying to help them with their homework. I'm trying to get dinner on the table. I'm trying to get, keep my family in line. I'm trying to go to work. I'm trying to be able to cover the bills. I'm trying to do all these things. And we get so focused on doing that we miss what God's wanting us to see in our life. That I'm growing a family that has a foundation whose name is Jesus. And that I'm trying to show my kids what it's like to follow Jesus with everything I've got. So we, we, we've got to do the things. It's important to do what we do. But don't forget to step back and see what God is building in your life. And there's things that we're going to see through surrender. I mean, these, these, these disciples came back and Jesus like, so how'd it go? And I mean, the excitement, this is, they, with joy. Like, Jesus, you won't believe this. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus didn't ask him to do anything with demons. He sent him out. He says, I'm I'm anointing you. I want you to go heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom. And what happens is, is you're going to get into some spiritual battles along the way. If you're going to go, if you're going to go deal with this, and here's what Jesus's response was. He's like, really? He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Don't take verse 19 literally. 
I, I, some, there are, I don't even want to call it denominations or religions, but there's some crazy people out there that have taken verse 19 and said, we're going to bring snakes to church. Don't do it. I will leave the church on that day. I will, I'll be like Moses with the Exodus. Actually, I'll be like Joseph. I don't even care about clothes at that point. I'm running. The only good snake is a dead snake on a belt or a purse, something like that. I don't carry a purse. The belt for me, purse for Heather. We'll say it that way. <laughs> don't take that literally. What Jesus is saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning. What, 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 what he's saying is when you surrender to me, when you surrender to Jesus, we're going to see victory over the enemy. See, what, what the disciples saw was, hey, as we went out, the things we were doing, the demons were subject to your name. What Jesus was seeing is a kingdom advancing into, into, in light, taking away the darkness. He said, oh, so the demons are subject in your name. I saw Satan fall like lightning. And I've given you authority over the enemy and all of his, his, his demons. I've given you authority over that in the spiritual realm so that when you step in and you bring light forward, the darkness cannot overtake the light. You've got that authority in the name of Jesus. Not your authority, it's his authority that he gives us. And he says, when you're surrendered to me, you're going to see this victory over the enemy. And this is, this is not a, a passive thing. You're not gonna stand in the face of the enemy and say, excuse me, can I get through? You've gotta have authority. You're, like, you're gonna back down now. Some of you, have spent, your prayer time is this. Lord, just please tell the devil to stop messing with my kids. Can I give you some coaching, some, some spiritual coaching this morning? You need to stand up, get the backbone that Jesus gives you and stand on his authority and say, by the name of Jesus, you're gonna stop messing with my kids. You're gonna stop messing with my family. Take authority. This isn't trying to get through a bus station going, excuse me, excuse me. You're gonna bust through a defensive line. And you've got to have the power behind you to be able to do that. Stand up and do it. Take that authority. When Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning, a lot of times we think this is in reference to when he was cast out of heaven. Well, you've got to understand that Jesus sees things outside of time. God stands outside of time, which I'm grateful for. Because when I go through trials, when I go through suffering, here's what I find, I find hope in, that God has already seen the end of this and how he gets the glory. One of the things I hate about football is watching live TV. I love DVRing the game and recording the game because when I start getting stressed out, like this drive is not going well, you know what I do? I don't start, I don't start freaking out, yell at the TV anymore, I hit fast forward. Like there's gotta be some hope coming. Please, dear Jesus, there's got to be some hope coming. If you're a Niners fan or Giants fan, I'm sorry. I can't tell you that hope's coming. <laughs> you know, draft day, you know, <laughs> there you go. There's your hope. But Jesus is also speaking not just past, but future. In Revelation 12, 9, this is what it says about that demon and, and being cast out and Satan being cast down. Um, I want to read it to you because this is a future event that Jesus has already seen in its completion. It says this, um, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So what's going on is Jesus said, while you were seeing demons subject to you in my name, I was seeing the enemy defeated. Because Jesus knows also 
that his face is set to Jerusalem, that he will lay down his life on the cross. He will give up his life and he will be placed in a tomb. And while in that tomb, he will descend into the depth of hell. And he said, you want to really see Satan cast out? I'm going to step into his house and take his keys. There's nothing passive about that. It's not, it's not the authority of Jesus going, excuse me, can I have this authority? No, he goes in and takes it. He says, this is what you will see. But then he goes on in verse 20. He says, nevertheless, nevertheless is kind of like, um, but. You know, whenever somebody says, I, I like you, but. Nevertheless is Jesus's but. He, he's like, so, so I saw Satan fall like lightning. Nevertheless, what he's saying to the disciples is, you saw the demons subject to you in my name? That, that's cool and everything. That, that's really nice. But nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What he's saying is that the surrender to Christ leads us to rejoice in the security of our eternity. When he sent the disciples out, he said, this is a dangerous mission. I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves, as sheep among wolves. And it's going to be dangerous. Don't, don't think that when you step in to push the enemy back, even with authority, that it's gonna be a safe thing. Anytime you do something for Jesus, he's got a target on you. His goal for you, the enemy's goal for you, is complete destruction, to steal, kill, and destroy he wants you dead. Not only that, he wants you outside of the grace of God. He wants to keep you from the grace of God. He wants to make sure that nothing you do in your life will give God any hint of glory. He wants to rob God of that completely. And you mean nothing to him other than a pawn to hurt God. And so we, we live in a world that's not secure. We spend thousands and billions and millions of dollars trying to create this idea of security. Some of y'all are gonna go out in a couple weeks, go $45,000 into debt on the new car because it's got 18 more airbags. <laughs> the ironic thing in that is you could get hit in the parking lot. See, we, we like to build this idea of security around us and it's just, it's not there. And what Jesus is saying is, I am your security. I am your hope. I am your future. Don't rejoice in these things that you're doing. Rejoice in what you can see. And what you can see is that your hope is secure in Christ and eternity in heaven. That your names are written in heaven. Your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And your names are written in blood. That's the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. So when he gave his life for you, he did it to secure our eternity. He says, yes, in this life, you will face trials of various kinds, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You're going to face suffering. Jesus is honest with us about the way the world works. It's broken. It's a mess. In desperate need of a savior. And you and I are called to surrender to Christ, to go out, to say the security that you're looking for, it's found in one place and his name is Jesus. You and I are to go just like these disciples, prepare the way for Jesus. 
And how are we building bridges in our community? How are we building uh, relationships? Not because of what we can get from somebody, but from what we can help share with somebody. All in the name of Jesus because we want a hope and a security. You have people that you're praying for that you desperately want to see in heaven. What are you doing to help them get there? Because it's already been paid for by Jesus. It's by the grace of God. By the grace of God that he does this. That he willingly laid his life down on a cross so that this grace could be given to us. And most of the times when you hear this passage taught, it ends there. But verse 21 goes on. It says, in that same hour, he rejoiced. Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. There's times in scripture that you can turn the page and a generation passes. This moment says in the same hour, the same hour that Jesus said, that's cool and everything, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus begins to rejoice. And he rejoices over this revelation of grace, that that surrendering to Christ leads us to a revelation of grace. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. You've got a beautiful picture of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit here. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That Jesus the Son is rejoicing in the Holy Spirit, praising the Father. They're three yet one. And all, the whole goal is about the glory of God. And this grace that is revealed brings more glory to God. He says, I'm, I thank you that you revealed them to these children. Jesus didn't take, send out kids on this mission. He didn't send out 72 kids. Last week when he said, don't take your backpack, he didn't say, don't take your Dora Explorer backpack and your, your I don't know what's a, a Pokemon lunchbox, I don't know. Your SpongeBob, whatever. He didn't send out kids. He didn't say, leave your milk money at home. He said, fully trust me. He sent out adults. But what he's saying here is that you have hidden these things from the people who think they deserve them and giving them to people who don't know anything about it. That you revealed your will, your grace. You poured your grace to these kids. All things have been handed over to me by my father. No one knows who the son is except the father, who the father is except the son, and anyone to whom the son reveals to him. What Jesus is praising the father about is that you have revealed your grace and your glory to people who who can't deserve it. See, this is the beautiful thing about grace. That's why Jesus is rejoicing because God does extraordinary things to ordinary people. There's a lot of times we don't feel like we've got anything of value that God can use. If you've got a surrendered heart, that's all he needs. And Jesus goes on, he turns to the disciples and he said this privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. God uses broken people. 
We always think it's just for some, some status of elite that God's gonna work through. And Jesus is saying there are kings and prophets that so desperately wanted to see the kingdom of darkness pushed back, the sick healed, and to see Jesus on the scene. They didn't get to see it. Blessed are your eyes. God uses broken people. See, these disciples that Jesus called, the original 12, the apostles, when Jesus called them, they were fishermen, tax collectors. They were involved in a trade. You know they're not the best of the best in their, in their society because the best of the best would go on and the religious elite would end up taking them and making them Pharisees or Sadducees. Because through school, as they go through school, those that show promise about religion get pushed forward. And the ones that aren't good, they sit them down and say, go home, learn your father's trade. We know that these disciples, especially the 12 apostles, weren't the sharpest knives in the drawer. I mean, you've got hotheads, you got tax collectors, you got, you got all kinds of dysfunction going on with these men. And when Jesus is praising God, he's saying, let me translate it to the way that Jesus would rejoice over me. Father, I thank you that you've given me this idiot. That there are a lot of things he screws up. There's a lot of things he cannot get right at all in his life. But I thank you that because of your grace, you've chosen to work in him and through him for your glory. That's what I feel like Jesus is rejoicing in. God, you've taken this broken mess and redeemed him so that your glory can be revealed by your grace in his life. When you look through scripture, you see incredible amounts of jacked up people that God uses. I mean, Abraham, we like to say, Father Abraham, through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. By faith, Abraham believed God and his faith was accredited to him as righteousness. There was also a time Abraham was willing to give up his wife to another man to save his own life. You don't get over that one easily. That doesn't die in the marriage. You imagine Abraham walking into the tent one night, hey, Sarah, what's for dinner? I don't know. Remember that time you tried to pimp me out to another man to save your life? You know, there's gonna be a Messiah one day, Sarah. His name is Jesus. He's gonna have some grace. I mean, you go through the line, Ruth, generations of dysfunction. Ruth is the great, great granddaughter of incest. Story about Lot getting drunk with his daughters. That's not one you're gonna see in kids Sunday school on a flannel board. Sorry. Okay, kids. Imagine that conversation in the minivan. Hey, mom. David, adulterer, murderer. Yet, man after God's own heart. Rahab, prostitute that's in the lineage of Jesus. Not was a former prostitute when God used her, a prostitute. Mary, a virgin, just a common girl. 
God does the extraordinary through the extraordinary. God does incredible things through broken people who are willing to surrender to him, all because of his grace. That's what makes grace and the gospel so beautiful. That's what makes it so powerful. That you and I have access to the grace of God that is being revealed to us so that we can be saved and we can be surrendered in a relationship with him and we can experience great things and see great things that God's doing in us and through us because of the surrender that we've done. Grace is a beautiful thing. And we're all, all on this different place in the spectrum of grace. I like, to, I like to polarize things because it helps us see how ridiculous each end can be, right? And with this spectrum of grace, you know, on one side, I think you've got the self-righteous. The other side, you've got the self-loathing. The self-righteous are the ones that I don't need God. I can get my stuff cleaned up. Those are the people that we look at and we feel so, so uh, uh, inferior next to, especially if we sit next to a self-righteous person in church. It's like, God, why can't I get my crap together like they got it? I mean, they, they walk in here, they got the smile. Their kids weren't crazy coming in the parking lot. They got out of the car smiling, so I know, God, they didn't fight on the way to church. God, I see their Facebook feed. It's a perfect life. And a self-righteous person's like, that's how I do it. That's how I roll. I can get my stuff together. I can keep myself in line. I don't need God. I can do what I need to do. The self-loathing person says, there's no way in the world God would love me. I carry so much shame and guilt from my decisions in my past. I don't want anybody to know, much less God, because there's no way There's no way his grace would cover that. That's the spectrum. You put those people in a marriage, you got some crazy dysfunction. Because you got one saying you're not good enough and the other one believing it. So where are you in that spectrum of grace? Because the reality is both sides need grace. Both sides diminish the power of the cross. Both sides diminish this authority that Jesus has over the enemy. Both sides diminish grace. They misunderstand grace completely. I get to talk to a lot of people. They're like, man, just, there's just too much in my past that I've got to get fixed before I can show up to God. Can I ask you a question? Um, Romans 5, 8 tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So how many of our sins were future sins when Jesus went to the cross? All of them. So Jesus knowing all of the mistakes that I would make and all the sins that I would carry and all the decisions that I would make still looked at me, still looked at you and said it's worth it. I love them. And Father, I want your grace to be revealed to them because it's the broken that need a savior. 
and our self-righteousness doesn't get us there. What scripture tells us about our most righteous acts is that they're filthy rags before, before God. So I can say I've got too much baggage in my life for Jesus to love me. Or I can say I've done enough good to get into heaven. Either way, I'm not allowing grace to cover my life. And the powerful thing about grace is grace covers it. Grace can cover when we surrender. All we have to do is ask. I love what Paul said in in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Let me set it up. Paul, the apostle Paul, had been given a thorn in his flesh. And he prayed three times, God, please take this away. And God's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's response, therefore I will boast all the more about my weakness so that the power of Christ may be on me. What Paul is saying is I'm going to rejoice in my weakness because God's power is made perfect. I'm gonna rejoice because his grace is sufficient. Jesus is rejoicing to the Father because he says, your all-sufficient grace is being poured out and revealed to people who desperately need it. That the glory of God is being revealed through the grace that comes only through Christ. And it's sufficient. I don't know where you're at on that spectrum, but let me just tell you a real beautiful truth this morning that his grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for me and his grace is sufficient for you. And the question you need to ask yourself is, am I allowing, am I surrendering myself to let God reveal his grace in me to transform my life, to take this brokenness and make it something beautiful? Am I willing to surrender my life to let let God do things in my life so I see and experience these things that God has planned for my life? And am am I letting him reveal his grace through me? It's not enough for us to just go, well, I got grace and we sit and wait. We got grace. We've got the sufficient grace. And here's the thing. What I know about about kids in, in elementary school, you know, we just got done with Halloween and they still don't wanna share their candy. Why? Because it's a limited supply. Here's the beauty of grace. It's sufficient. I got grace. You got some for me? I got some for you. There's enough to go around. There's enough grace to go around. Let's start passing it around. Get you some and pass it on. It's sufficient. And there's incredible things. There are incredible things that you can experience. And I just wanna invite you to come and see it. But you gotta surrender to see it. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you love us. God, even when we struggle with loving ourselves, you love us. Even when we don't think we're worthy, your grace is sufficient. We thank you that your grace is enough. God, I know that the power of the Holy Spirit is in this room this morning, and I'm just asking that as you're preparing hearts, I, 
for this grace. There are those in this room that need that grace this morning. And I thank you, Father, that you are revealing your grace and your fullness of glory in this moment. And I'm asking you for the courage in those that need grace. I'm asking you to give them the courage to surrender everything, the strength to let go. Surrender doesn't mean defeat. Surrender means we walk in your victory. And we thank you for paying the price for that victory. I surrender all of you, all of me for all of you. God, I'm asking you to make that the prayer of those this morning that need your grace. God, I'm surrendering all of me for all of you. Let your grace change my life. God, I pray that every one of us leaves this place filled with grace and fully willing to share that grace all for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at thecreekfw.com.